Thanks for joining us today at City Life. We believe today's message will empower you and point you towards Jesus. But remember that church is so much more than a message you listen to. It's a living, breathing community that we invite you to be a part of. We hope to see you on a Sunday morning at City Life, in person or online. Well, we are in our Advent series. And, uh, you know, I, I think some of my fondest memories as a child were of the getting up in the morning and having the chocolate advent calendar. Yeah, still do that. There's only two days left to Christmas. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, I would, you know, mom would monitor the advent calendars because that's exactly what would happen is that they would get pillaged and by December 5th, there's, there's nothing left till the end of Christmas. I'm sure there was a lesson to be learned in there somewhere. But Advent is, uh, Advent is a season of anticipation. Advent is a season of, this is, we are, we're reflecting on the promise of a coming king. We're reflecting, of course, the original Advent was in, in, in anticipation of a savior of the world. But it's also a season of reflection uh, for us, that it's, there's wrongs in the world that we both cry out and ask God to help us put right and it's also a season of repentance. It's a season where we evaluate the ways of our life that don't lead to love and that don't lead to life. And we ask the Holy Spirit to transform us into the image of, of Christ and to change those areas of our life. And it's also a season of celebration because the whole premise of, of Christmas is that God is with us. That God, he, he didn't just set us here and said, good luck to you. He's with us. And, and it reminds us in our year that you're, you're not in this alone. And despite how you feel in this, this or other seasons of the year, you're not in this alone. And so the, as you saw in the video, the, the four themes of Advent are love, joy, peace, and hope. And today I want to talk about being under the influence of God's love. Being under the influence of God's love. And, you know, when we look at, um, we look at Jesus in the, basically, when you look at the Gospel of John, it, the Gospel of John is uh, it's a gospel about the love of God. Monica quoted from it, John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And the, the theme of love recurs all through the book of John. But as, um, as, it, as, as it approaches about, um, well, let's, let's go. There's three laws that we find uh, about love. Jesus said this, love the Lord your God with all your heart, your mind, your strength. And then he said, the second was, love each other as you love yourself. And when he was asked, what were the greatest, what's the greatest commandments? He said, these two. But then he added another one. He said uh, later in John 13 and again in John 15, he, he added this other law. He said, as you have seen me love, love others, love each other the same way. And this is, he actually brought some definition to love. Because you and I have different ideas of what love means. Isn't this true? You know, if you've ever been in a relationship with somebody, their idea of love expressed to them can be very different than your idea 
of love expressed. You, when you get someone like Monica and you get someone like me, for me, love is when I can have space to myself <laughs> and enjoy peace and quiet. That's, I feel loved when I get that. I get some time. How many are with me? You just like, you, you like that solitude. It does, it recharges you. Well, love, love to Monica can be, let's, let's go shopping. Let's go partying. Let's, let's, and, and to me, it's like, that's not love. That's noise. That's busyness. And so we all have different ideas of what love is, but Jesus makes it clear. Um, he's, he said, he said this, it's, it's what you see in me because I'm the perfect expression of love on the earth. What you learn from me. And so to really learn what love is, we just, we just need to go and look at Jesus, not our feelings, not our opinions, but to Jesus. You know, love is not an ideology, which is really easy to, get, to fall into the trap of becoming ideological about love. Love is actually a person. We find what love is in Jesus. We find that it's not just an idea or an aspiration, but it's actually, it's actually an action. And it's, it's followable. It's observable and it's followable. And, you know, the life of Jesus was the living expression of the love of God towards mankind. Everything, everything that Jesus did was love. If you want to know what love is, I just want to sing that song so bad. I just hear this going through your head. And if you don't know the song, don't worry, you're not missing anything. But it's, we, we find that in Jesus. Everything that Jesus did was love or meant to, or would lead us to love and, and experiencing God's love. It's a love that offers forgiveness and it's a love that offers freedom. You know, you and me, you and I, our love has limits. Our, our love is not perfect. You know, we can, we can say, I am going to love as the best I can, only to find out my best isn't very good sometimes. Like, it falls short, doesn't it? So we're not just wanting to try and, we're not just wanting to try and learn love by a feeling. We're trying to, we're trying to learn love, learn how to live in God's love. You know, Jesus Near the end of the book of John, he began to really focus down his teaching into two things. One was love, learning to live a life of love, but not just any love, God's love. But the second was abiding. And he began to place great importance on the, that the key to living a life of love is abiding in the right things. And so, you know, the, we want to learn... We want to learn how to walk and live in God's love, but walking and living in God's love, it depends a great deal on, where, on what we're abiding in. And, uh, you know, Jesus makes clear there's a, there's a big difference between, between God's love and the world's love. The world's love has conditions. 
doesn't it? it, it our, the world's love's contractual. If you do this, then you receive this reward. But if you don't do this, then you don't receive this reward. And it's, it's like, it's, it's love by agreement, but God's love towards us isn't by agreement. God's love towards us is unconditional. It's transforming. And it, you know, we look at, there's the story of, of when, uh, when the woman was, Monica talked about this, uh, I think it was last week actually, when the woman was caught in adultery and they brought her to Jesus and uh, they said, Jesus, we caught this woman in adultery. Uh, the law says we are to stone her. And so Jesus, she told the story. Jesus actually didn't answer at first. He just, I don't know what he did. He made little drawings in the sand or did something. It just says, the, the Bible literally says he just went down and began writing in the dirt. And then the, uh, he gets up and then, and then he says, well, you're, he, who's, he who's without sin can cast the first stone. And slowly, one by one, each of these accusers began to leave because they all realized. Some, some scholars think that what Jesus was doing was writing their sins on the ground. And, it's, it's, and as they're watching him write, they're realizing, like, he knows what I have done. And then he stood up and said, well, those of you without sin, whoever hasn't sinned can throw the first rock. Um, the, uh, all, of, all, of these, all of these people left, all of the Pharisees left. And then Jesus said to, the, said to the woman, where are your accusers? Or where are those who would condemn you? And, and she, she replied, um, they've all left. There's none here to condemn me. And then Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And then he says, go and sin no more. You know, I think when we get into, you know, how our world views love, especially in our contemporary world, we, we like the part where he says, neither do I condemn you. And then we want to stop the story there. But that's actually not complete love. Complete love wants to see people free from sin, too. And so, you know, the, the traditional church world, we've been really good at the go and sin no more. You know, like the, you know, the traditional church message is, you know, go and don't do anything wrong anymore. Just be perfect and God will love you. Well, the fact of the matter is even when you're in sin, God still loves you. And he still doesn't condemn us. But it's like one, any message of love that doesn't have both of those components is actually incomplete. It's actually not. See, to say, I don't condemn you, but to not offer you freedom, that's not actually love. That's just tolerance. But to say, you need to, you need to be perfect, but, not, but, to not, but to be missing the element of, I don't condemn you, then that's just legalistic. And there's no life in it. Actually, there's no life in either unless, they lead, unless both of those components are present. And God's love is both of these. And that's what makes his love so powerful towards us is his love is I do not condemn you, which is powerful. When we understand that for the first time that we don't have to pay the price 
for our sin. When we understand for the first time that God does not hold your past against you. That's powerful. But it's incomplete. And it's powerful when we understand that not only does he not hold our past against us, he actually makes a new path forward to, for us to walk into freedom from that past. And that's what God's love is. And Jesus gave, gave one of the keys, or one of the, one of the important ways that we experience this type of love is through abiding. The way that we learn this type of love is through abiding. And Jesus talks about this uh, in John chapter 15. And he said, I am the sprouting vine and you are my branches. And as you live in union with me as your source, fruitfulness will stream from within you. But when you live separated from me, you are powerless. I love each of you with the same love that the Father loves me. You must continually let my love nourish your hearts. How? By abiding. By abiding in him. If you keep my commands, you will live in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands. For I continually lived, nourished, and empowered by his love. We live continually nourished and empowered by what? By what we abide in. By what we abide in. What is abiding? Abiding is that in which we choose to dwell. It's our habitation. It's to live, uh, it's to live in union with something. We, when we abide with something. To live out of something. And Jesus said this, if you keep my commands, you will live in my love. So he, there's actually conditions here. There's things we have to do to experience life. And we don't like that. I don't like that. I just want all the benefits. But he said this, if you, if you love me, you will do certain things. See, what is, what is abiding? Abiding actually, this is going to get painfully simple here. Abiding is what's in our routines. Our routines are what we abide in. If I, if I abide in a life that's healthy, I'll have healthy routines and healthy habits. Isn't it true? Yeah. To be healthy, we have to do things that are healthy. If I want to be spiritually healthy, I will have routines of prayer. I'll have routines of reading scripture. If I want to be mentally healthy, I'll have routines of, of slowing of silence, but also I'll have routines of celebration. Um, if I want to be relationally healthy, I have to have routines that share life with others. I have to share meals. You guys are all quiet today. I have to gather in community. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, relational health isn't an accident, is it? It comes from having certain habits that we abide in. If I want to be physically healthy, I go to McDonald's every day and I sit and play video games. If I want to be healthy, I need to eat food that's nutritionally rich, but not too much of it. And I need to, and I need to be active. It's habits that create to create the reality that we live in. What we abide in is who we become. 
We become like the community of people with which we hang around, with which we do life with. If I get around cynical people, I will find myself cynical. If I get around critical people, I will find myself critical. If I get around encouraging people, I will find myself encouraged. If I get around people filled with faith, I will find myself filled with faith. If I get around those weird CrossFit people, (laughs) I will find myself weirdly fit. (laughs) That was a shameless plug. But the truth is, we're more likely to change by changing our associations than we are by changing our intentions. Because our associations will shape our intentions. And any parent of a teenager understands this very well, that, that who your kids hang around with is who they're becoming. And you can, watch, you can watch kids change in life just based on who they're around. And sometimes you realize, like, like I need to get my kids into certain groups because those groups are healthy, and I need to make sure I can do everything I can to keep them out of certain groups because they're, they're not healthy. This is funny. This is the, actually the first time I ever thought of this. You know, the abiding is our habitation. Where we abide, it's our habitation. And, and, you know, this is maybe it was just profound to me, but habitation is the place of your habits. It's, it's the seat of your habits. The habitation is, it's literally the definition, I looked it up 20 minutes before church, is the process of living in a certain place. Not the place you live, but the process of living in a certain place. That's a habitation. It's a place of habits. It's the place of our habits. So we all have a habitation. We all have, a, we all have habits that are shaping and forming us. And here's, here's the kicker. Our habits are perfectly designed to give us the results that we are getting right now. Our habits are perfectly designed to give us the results that we are experiencing right now. In other words, what our life is like right now is an exact reflection of our habits. That might help, that might hurt. <laughs> but that's, the, that's what a habitation is. It's a place of our habits. And uh, I want to kind of plug a book here. It's called Habits of the Household. And and some of you remember last year we read The Common Rule uh, by Justin Whitmore Early. I always get that name mixed up. Um, uh, He wrote a book called Habits of the Household. And we were going to have it for sale. It didn't make it in time for this week. But it is everything that I wish I would have known about shaping spiritual formation in the home for for my children uh when it, it's it's an excellent excellent book and it will be here available and you will thank me later profusely for bringing it in for you to get if you have uh, and i would just apply i i just read it and it like it it works for you know any age and it's got excellent and excellent content about the habits of our homes And uh, he says this, by not choosing our habits carefully, we're falling back on rhythms that are forming us 
in all of the usual patterns of unceasing screen time, unending busyness, unrivaled consumerism, unrelenting loneliness, unmitigated addictions, and unparalleled distractions. Our contemporary system of cultural habits is the same. The cultural default is perfectly designed to produce the kind of families that it's producing, and we're all familiar with them. So why would we as Christians, called to be ambassadors of Christ, default to this American way of life? And, and just, he, he compares the household, he compares spiritual habits as, as it, the spiritual habits of a home are a school of love. We practice them to draw us into a life where we experience and we're able to grow in God's love. And my, parent, my habits are forming me into a certain kind of parent. And this would just apply to a person. My habits are forming me into a certain kind of parent. And my parenting is forming my children into certain kinds of children. We are all together forming each other into a certain kind of family. And our best parenting comes when we think less about being parents and more about being children of God. I think it just applies to life. We can't think our way out of a pattern that we didn't think ourselves into. Most of our life is habits. And habits, habits take up a different part of your brain than your intentions. Habits actually go deeper. That's why when someone cuts you off in traffic and you want to give them the one-way Jesus sign. (laughs) Why? Because it's a habit. And it actually goes deeper in your brain than your intentions. My intention, I wanted to, oh, God bless that person. (laughs) I love you. I love you with the love of the Lord. You bad driver, you. But the problem is, is habits reside deeper in our brain, and they just come out. You don't want them to come out, they just come out. That's why, that's why like, your, your spouse, significant others, even certain friends or associates, they can say certain things, and they just trigger you. It's like, you're gone, boom. Reason has left the building. It's because habits form our actions deeper in our in our brain than even our intellect and intentions are. And it's what we do habitually. And, and as we do, as we carry out habits, those habits become, um, those habits become like second nature. And we're watching, we're watching grade learning to walk in the last little while. And it's really, I was, I was actually thinking of getting him on stage, but it, it's, uh, that would be a distraction <clears throat> for me. And as he was learning to walk, you know, at first when they're walking, it's like little drunk people. Like, you're just, they're just, and you can see, like, everything they're doing, they're concentrate, like, foot forward, left foot backward, oh, wave arms. Like, you, you can, like, it's, but they're thinking about everything. Like, everything is getting conscious thought. But now we're watching him. It's, it's funny. He's kind of got this little swagger that his arms now are just, like, to the side. His arms are down. They're not waving in the air anymore. But that's the way spiritual formation is in our lives. That's the way habits are 
in our lives. At first, you think about them all the time. To do them, you have to... But after a while, if we had to think about every time we took a step, every time we go somewhere, it's like, okay, right foot up, down, left foot up, down, right foot... It, you imagine how difficult life would be. But after a while, you don't think about walking anymore. You don't think about expressions anymore. You don't think about driving anymore. After a while, habits, they go deep. And they just do their job. Learning to live a life of love means we have to be intentional about our habits. Because our heart follows our habits. And if we don't shape our habits through our intentions, the world will shape them for us. Love and habits go hand in hand. And to live in God's love, we have to abide in routines and create a habitation shaped by God's love. One of the most he writes in this book, one of the most significant things about any household, and I would say this about any church or any household, is what is considered to be normal. Moments aggregate, they become memories, they become traditions. Our routines become who we are. They become the story of our culture, of our, they become the story and the culture of our church and our families. And this is a great statement. Nothing is normal until it is. Nothing is normal. We think our family's not normal or our church isn't normal. It's like nobody's normal until it is. Nothing is normal in life until we create habits and routines and then those things become normal. We choose habits that are designed to lead us into a new story or a new normal. We choose habits that become a, that shape a story of redemption, reconciliation, and God's love. Healthy practices and healthy habits teach us to experience God's love and teach us to love one another with God's love. All right. I'm out of time. I'm not actually out of time, but I'll be out of time if I don't move on to the next section here. You know, we're going to celebrate communion together. And you know what communion is? is It reminds us of some very specific things. And the first... The Lord's Supper, the, the very first communion that was taken, we see some, we see some important truths about this. That it, Jesus, this, is, this was a, actually a habit he was telling us to create in our lives. But not just, he was taking a habit and attaching it to a habit. He took the, he said, I want to give you a new habit that every time you gather together, I want you to use this as a moment of, of spiritual formation. Use it as a moment to remind yourself of the role that I'm playing in your life, but also in the role that you play in one another's lives. 
But he took this, this habit of communion and he attached it to a habit we all have. It's called eating together. Eating, mealtime. And the reason was because every, every time we, we eat together, it's an opportunity for something to be formed in us that's greater than just charcuterie. <laughs> greater than fondue or steak or sourdough bread fried in butter. <laughs> Did I just give away my weakness? <laughs> It was to take this as an opportunity to, to remember eternal, eternal truths. It teaches us, that the first thing it teaches us is that in spite of everything else that we may think or we may do, whether it comes to church, whether it comes to faith, whether it comes to relationships, it's this, is that Jesus is the center. Jesus is the center. He actually made it all about him. He made it all about him. And he, he, he said, every time you gather, just remember, this is about me. As you're sharing bread, as you're sharing a drink together, this is about me. And the first thing he says about him is, I'm your savior. I have given my body for you. I have been broken for you so you don't have to be broken. I have paid the price that you can't pay. That you don't have to try and make up for what you've done wrong because I've paid this price for you. You don't have to you don't have to be perfect to be in relationship because I became the sacrifice for you. Jesus is the center of our faith, not our preferences, not our opinions, not our careers, not our self-image. Jesus is the center. We have a savior and it's not us. It's not our own efforts. You know, and the second thing, actually I should ask here, does everybody have like one of these guys right here? If you do not, you can put up your hand and we'll have one of our team members. We have some over here, over here. Can I get another hand over here? That's an old preacher joke. We'll just get those distributed for you guys. Put your hand up. If they're ignoring you, stand to your feet and dance around. That's <laughs> great. But you know, I think, I think the, to me what stands out so significantly about, about this is that Jesus, Jesus was eating with his disciples. And it reminds us this, that as he gave, he wasn't giving instructions to us as individuals. He was giving, actually giving instructions to us as, as a group or as a church to say that this is something that you, you do this together. This is, this is like communion is something that's done in community. 
And whether that is with others in our home, whether that is together in a building, whether that is having friends over for supper, it's the Lord's, the Lord's Supper is to us. And I, I love what um, it was Monica or, or uh, Ryan Cook who had said uh, in, that one, in that one message on the Lord's table. It's like, I'm not actually inviting you to my table and you're not inviting me to your table. It's we have both been together invited to the Lord's table. And that's profound. That he, he calls us together. First John 4, it says this, because, because of this, the love of God is a reality among us. God sent his only son into the world so that we could find true life through him. And this is the embodiment of true love. Not that we have loved God first, but that he loved us and sent his unique son on a special mission to become an atoning sacrifice for our sins. So my loved ones, if God loved us so sacrificially, surely we should love one another. And no one has ever seen God with human eyes, but if we love one another, God truly lives in us. You know, God does not, love does not exist outside of community. Love does not exist outside of relationship. And that's the first thing that, if you want to take your bread, is that Jesus gave his body so that we could live in relationship together. And, and he, he went on to say, every time you share bread with one another, do this, remembering the fact that I was broken for you so you could be joined together. Let's take that together. And you can open your cup. Sounds like bubble wrap in here. And then he took the cup and he said, this, this is my blood which has been shed for a new covenant. And a new covenant basically means this is a new agreement between God and mankind. And it was for the forgiveness of sin. And you know, every time Every time we join together, he said, do this in remembrance of me. But it's not just doing it, remember that you've been forgiven of sin. It's remember that we have been forgiven of sin. And so it means that I receive forgiveness, but I also give forgiveness. I receive God's grace, but I also give God's grace because God's grace, if I don't give it to you, then I actually don't receive it myself because it wasn't given to me, it was given to us. So the only way I can receive it is if we receive it. So it's extending that grace to one another, extending that forgiveness to one another and, and remembering that it's not our effort that paid for that. It's, it was the blood of Jesus, his sacrifice that enabled us to live in that freedom.
If we can stand up. I want to I want to just close in prayer here as we wrap up the service. But I think you know one of the important things, you know, about love is love when we when we begin to cultivate the habits of love is that it actually allows us to live in healthy community with one another. I like I written here it re, we release each other from the burden of perfection and allow God's grace to make up the difference. And let's just close our eyes. Father, I thank you that as we reflect on this season, we realize this is a season that we didn't earn your love, but you gave us your love anyways. That you poured your love on, on mankind despite our shortcomings. And that, that, ha- that doesn't change today. Even when we think we know better or we should know better, your love is still there. Your grace is still there. And so together we say, Lord, we need that grace in our lives. Lord, we, we, we desperately rely on a love that is greater than just what we can manufacture on our own. We want to experience your love in our hearts. Where our love falls short, yours doesn't. We want to learn to walk in that, that love that you, you said we would find in Jesus. And I just want to pray one last prayer here. Maybe you're here today and you've never said yes to Jesus. You've never said yes to his love or received his love or received his forgiveness. And maybe this whole experience is a little overwhelming because you've kind of gone through life thinking, but I have to make up for everything I did wrong or do wrong. But I I want you to know that God's love can't be earned. It's a gift. And I'm going to lead us in a prayer now receiving that gift. And if you want to be included in that prayer, you can pray along with me. Jesus, I say yes to your love in my life. I receive your love. I receive your forgiveness. Would you come into my life? I give you permission to change my heart, to lead me. I want to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope today's message encouraged you. If you want to take your next step in saying yes to Jesus, you can always contact us at cty.lc slash next step or fill out the next step section on the City Life app. It's an honor to play a small part in what God is doing in your life. We look forward to connecting with you soon.